With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Hockey News Podcast and live stream. It's Matt Larkin here with Ken Campbell, Ryan Kennedy. We're brought to you by our sponsor, Christian Hockey. Check out the gear, ChristianHockey.com. And this is a weird transition. Hopefully it's not insensitive, but a guy who I wish had the proper gear to save himself on Saturday was poor Matt Calvert. Let's start with that. Matt Calvert uh, takes a shot to the face Saturday night. Colorado-Vancouver game. Elias Pettersson on the opposing team sees Calvert bleeding on the ice and he even motions to stop the play. The referees let it continue. Vancouver scores a goal. Uh, the, the Colorado players were furious after the game, especially Eric Johnson and of course Nathan McKinnon said, imagine if this was basketball and LeBron James was lying bleeding on the ice. What would have happened? Uh, and there are a lot of gray areas when it comes to the officiating and the actual NHL rulebook and whether the referees on the ice, the officials on the ice, were enforcing it properly. So let's get into that. Uh, we'll start with you, Kenny Boy. What do you think about what happened? And do you blame the officials or do you blame the rulebook or both? I absolutely blame the officials. I don't think this has anything to do with the NHL or the rules being ambiguous. It's right there in the rulebook. Rule eight, injured players. Oh, he brought uh, the rule book. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. Oh, and teacher's pet. Takes off his glasses teacher's too. pet. No, but, but okay, so they say, it says, if, it, if the team's player is in control of the puck at the time of the injury, play shall be stopped immediately unless his team is in a scoring position. Okay, mm-hmm. I get that. They didn't have the puck. They weren't close to the puck. Vancouver was, was controlling the play. In the case where it is obvious that a player has sustained a serious injury, the referee and or the linesman may stop the play immediately. It's right there. I'm sorry, but it's right there. This is on Justin St. Pierre, Garrett Rank, Kyle Murchison, and Shander Alfonso, because those were the four guys on the ice. Those were the eight eyes on the ice. Those were the guys who saw him go down. They saw him get hit in the face. They saw Elias Pettersson put his hand up and, and say something's wrong here. It's on them. Like, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I don't... I'm not a, an apologist for the NHL on a lot of things, but this one here, I don't think you can blame the league. The rules are right there. It's clear. And these guys just blew it, in my opinion. Blew it. And it's just common sense. When you see yeah. blood coming from a head, it's always serious. I mean, I guess, you you know, like if it's a bloody nose, maybe not. But like when it's coming from the head, especially in this day and age where we're learning so much more about concussions and CTE and all that goes around with it. And the NHL claims that they want to be on the right side of things, although the way Gary Bettman talks is very lawyerish because he is a lawyer. Um but in general, it feels like the NHL at least wants to proclaim they're doing the right thing. I, I'm not sure what the refs saw as the downside here. I, did they yeah. think they were going to get yelled at for ruining a Vancouver scoring chance because Maybe Calvert they was did. bleeding? Maybe, Maybe they, they did. They did. They had, because Vancouver did end up scoring. Yeah. Well, Pedersen was like, uh, 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 yeah. Like, yeah. 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 
I, would, I, for, I forgot. I was doing something visual, but some people are listening see, to this, see. and I just did a visual thing. <laughs> right. Some see, people are watching. I, I can see why they have this rule in place. I can see why they insist on the team having control of totally. the Totally. Because what's to keep a guy from going, oh, 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 and in the middle of a, uh, you know, when, when, his, team's, when, it, yeah, when yeah. his team's being smothered, right? Brad so would so, do so that. I get that. I get that. I get yeah. the reason why the rule is there. Yeah. But it's right there in black and white. They should have called it. They didn't call it. To me, it's on them. Uh, I'm, I'm going to play partial devil's advocate here. So I agree that the call was blown. The referee should have called it. It was very obvious. Um, but I also think it's a flaw in the rule book. You're still relying on on subjectivity to call this. And you can make a case. Well, should the rule book be amended to the point where it's, you know, if any time a player is bleeding on the ice, you, you blow a play dead. But that brings uh, brings up a, a different set of, of problems because like what if a guy just got grazed by a puck yeah. but he, he's yeah. a bleeder he happens to bleed easily or it's one of those plays where a guy takes a stick to the mouth but he keeps playing through it and you're gonna have way more whistles in a game so I kind of wonder if this is sort of a, just one of those unfortunate incidents that we can't really get around because the rule book in a way has to be the way it is right now because if it was if it was too strict if it was blow every play dead with a bleeder then you're gonna have a million whistles a game. I just, uh, See, I, I don't think there's, I don't think there's a way around it. I think it was just unfortunate for some reason, the refs missed it this time, and they deserve some blame. But it could happen again. It's the nature of just a rule being. Subject to subjectivity. See, I, I see, I, di- I disagree with that. I, I think th- I'm, I'm with Ryan on this. Mm-hmm. It's common sense. Yeah. It's just, com- just apply common sense, and and they didn't apply common sense in this case. Yeah. Like common sense would tell you that if someone's that badly hurt, it doesn't matter if it's Game Seven of the Stanley Cup Final, and this happens, mm-hmm. you, you blow the play down because. The guy might be really, really seriously hurt here. Yeah, yeah like, and like his life, like, and it's he, and it's not, it's not, it's not hyperbole to say a guy's life might be in peril when yeah. he gets hit in the face yeah. with a slap shot from an NHL player yeah. using those sticks. And when a guy in the other team is it, like in the yeah. middle of the scoring chances, mm-hmm. is motioning mm-hmm. like, "Hey, hey." That to me, should, for four people, you got somebody's got to see that. Yeah, that should be a giveaway. Right. And I mean, if right. you, you know, if you want to talk about guys being bleeders, but I mean, if they're playing the puck and bleeding, then I think again, common sense comes in where it's like, right. all right, well, he's all right. It's just maybe like a, you know, like a chip tooth or something mm-hmm. like that. But obviously, Calvert was in distress, and I mean, it's obviously not in the Canucks, but in soccer, don't sometimes they just give the ball up to stop a play. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not, not enough sure. of a soccer guy to know. Well, yeah, but I, I don't think we should be applying soccer injury stuff to hockey because no, no, in no. soccer, if a guy goes like this, the guy falls Yeah, down totally, yeah, yeah. But I, I feel like there's everything. some instances yeah. where, you know, you know, they were going to be above and beyond. The Canucks could have just passed the puck to right. the ass. But, I mean, they did score, and it's a it's the NHL, and they're competitive. Right, right, and, and I don't think it's not I don't think, I, I don't think this is on Vancouver. Like, no. they're... You know they're trying to win the game, and they they don't know. It's not up to them to look and see. Yeah, they reacted badly. to the officials. Yeah, they, they said, yeah. "Oh man, they they're not calling this." Yeah, yeah, best, best I, we, think, I guess we better yeah. keep going. Yeah, yeah they yeah. had no choice, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. I still think it, in this case, yes, it was an extreme example where it seemed very obvious. Uh, at the same time, just any rule in any book, any rule book in any sport that relies on a judgment call, you're going to have things like this happen. It's just mm-hmm. the nature of mm-hmm. allowing officials to make judgment calls on anything, right? right? So I don't think we've seen the last of this happening, unfortunately. Um, so there's been a couple of prominent Canadian teams are in major slides and their players are publicly speaking out about how embarrassed they are. We're seeing it in Toronto, we're seeing it in Calgary. Matthew Kachuk was the one re- most recently speaking about how things are just unacceptable right now. The Flames have lost four games in a row. Uh, and 
you're starting to see a little bit of talk on social media, things like that about Bill Peters. You're seeing a lot of talk about Mike Babcock in Toronto. But let's start with the Flames. And who do you think is to blame for what's going on in Calgary right now? Is this a blip? Is this just a short-term slump? Or is something major happening? And if that's the case, is Bill Peters the person to blame for it? I think that you need to give Bill Peters a little more time behind the bench. My, my, root, my personal rule of thumb is I want a head coach to have at least two full seasons you know, before you make those, those jarring calls because they're coming in and they got to impose their system and you have guys you know, in and out of the lineup. I, I feel you need a little more of a track record before you dump Bill Peters. I would give him until at least the end of this season. Then it feels like it's a fair shake. You know, I think most of us knew Mark Giordano was not going to be the Norris Trophy frontrunner again this year. I mean, last year was just such an incredible season for a veteran player. You know, TJ Brody's out. Obviously, that's going to hurt them as well. Clearly, there's something wrong. They're not gelling. They're not coming together, and that is on Peters. But I feel that for him, I'd like to give him just a little more time to right the ship because I don't think he's been there long enough to dump him just yet. See, I I see both in Toronto and in Calgary. I see two coaches who are on the, on the hot seat, and I see two coaches who absolutely and utterly deserve to be on the hot seat right now. Oh, yeah. Because the way their teams play the game, there are glaring, 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 glaring mistakes, particularly defensively for both of these teams. Lack of structure, lack of game awareness, like situational awareness for some of, for these teams sometimes. Like, read the room, guys. <laughs> you just scored a power play goal. You're up 3-2. Shut it down. You know, like things like that. And those are all on coaches. Those are all on coaches. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of blame to go around here. You know? I mean, in Toronto... Other than overpaying a bunch of superstars, what's Kyle Dubas done? I could have done that. I could have overpaid a bunch of superstars. I could have done that. And and there's they're, there's they're fundamentally flawed. The Toronto Maple Leafs are fundamentally flawed. The Calgary Flames are fundamentally flawed. And the way they play the game is the one thing that the coach has control over and in both of those cases they are failing and they're failing badly so that indicates to me one of two things either the coach is not able to get his message through or they've tuned him out in in either case that's on the coach and so I think that any heat that is on Bill Peters and Mike Bobcock at this particular moment in time as we're talking right now is absolutely 100% deserved yeah it feels like this is the time for Babcock to go not because he's a bad coach per se, but he's a Lou Lamorello coach playing for Kyle Dubas. It, it just makes so much sense for Sheldon Keefe to come up from the AHL's Toronto Marlies and coach this roster. When you think about the relationship that Dubas and Keefe have, going back to Sault Ste. Marie, and I mean, you know, we've I've seen the clips on Twitter of Dubas speaking at conferences where he talks about what an impact Sheldon Keefe had on a roster just in a short amount of time. And you look at that skill game that the Leafs are playing. It just feels like with Babcock right now, it's the square peg in the round hole. And if he was coaching the Islanders instead of Barry Trotz, 
they're probably still a good team. Maybe they're not as good as they are with Barry Trotz at the helm, but there's probably still a playoff team. Whereas with this Leafs roster, it's just it's the usage, it's the deployment, it's the pairings, it you know special teams, which is also on obviously the assistant coaches, but you're the one in charge of them. It's it just all seems like a, a mismatch right now. Right. And the thing is, like Toronto has a roster where, with some tweaks they could be a very good team in the East. Like, they shouldn't be this far away. No, oh, no, no. They're wildly underachieving. Yeah. I, I think what's weird, too, is to me, <clears throat> the Leafs and Flames, I, I think the reasons they're struggling are so different right now. Uh, the Flames special teams are fine. And the Flames are the team that's getting very little production from its top players, and that's right. what's going wrong with Calgary. And it's, it's debatable whether that can be blamed on the coaching or not. But Johnny Gaudreau, since the All-Star break last year, 54 games, 12 goals, and 44 points in his past 54 games. So the slump that started last year has bled into the season, which makes me wonder if that's a case of a player and coach not clicking. Uh, but I'm actually not as worried about the Flames. They have the mm-hmm. lowest shooting percentage in the NHL. They've been pretty unlucky. And like I said, special teams are, are decent. So it's a matter of can you find a way to light a spark under the best players and also you know it's it's a horrible way to put it but it falls under the category of bad luck what happened to poor tj brody the flames have been outscored nine nothing since that happened so i think this is a team that is still very rattled by what's happened to a player that they love so much and mm-hmm. they don't, we don't know exactly what's happening with tj brody yet the timeline is very unclear and i think that's still sticking with this team the fact that they've been just killed two games in a row one of the games was six nothing uh whereas toronto i think i think babcock's seat is hotter than, than Peters is because mm-hmm. the Leafs have terrible special teams. We, we It's been well publicized. The problem with Freddie Anderson always playing him, insisting on playing him the first game of back-to-backs. The Leafs are 0-5-1 in the second game of back-to-backs. Uh, so that's problematic at the same time. You know, and, and you know, I can say, okay, Cody Ceci as well, he's been one of the worst players in the league for several years, and, and he's played more than 80% of his minutes this season at 5-on-5 with Morgan Riley. That's coaching as well. But I do wonder if more so than last year, the blame can be shifted toward Dubas because, and this is, I go back to this, I love this this way you've put it before, Ryan, that Dubas takes away Babcock's toys year mm. after year. He removes the Roman Polacks of the world, and this summer he removed Patrick Marlowe, he removed Ron Hainsey, so there's Nazem nothing left. Nazem Kadri. Nazem Kadri. So the, the Babcock players are all gone, almost all gone from the roster now. And in a way, that puts the spotlight on Dubas because this is a Kyle Dubas team now. Yep. And yeah. a Kyle Dubas team that went all in on skill, doubled down on skill, is now not very hard to play against. And it seems to be a problem. And if you look at the Leafs, their possession, they're the second best possession team in the NHL right now. Uh, but they're very bad at uh, allowing high danger chances. So for whatever reason, they're continuing to bleed scoring chances. And I wonder, so it's like, okay, we know we've been doing this for years, these, these jobs. We know that the pecking order is always coach goes first, then GM. So GM will fire coach to save GM's job. And then if, if the team still underachieves, then it's the GM's job that goes. But in this case, I don't know if the coach is as much to blame as he was a year ago. I think you still look at deployment and say, why is Cody Cece on a top pairing with Morgan Ryan? Right. Why is he why, on the why, second why, pairing? Why is he on the third pairing? And, 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 yeah. and, 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 and I mean, there's no... I don't think it's any coincidence that Morgan Riley's game has gone sub or sub Antarctica south here. You know, he's really struggled in the last yeah. month, month or so. Yeah. And it even goes back to last year like why does Morgan Riley always get saddled with like a defensive player either either an old what? veteran like Ron Hainsey who may have brought out the best in him. Maybe. Yeah. But it's like just 
Give him Travis Dermott. It, it was the Simpsons Stonecutter <laughs> episode. It was it was remove the stone of shame. Attach the stone of time. Yeah, yeah. He's, it feels like he always has some kind of oh anchor. Oh, my God. I feel bad for Morgan Riley. It's just like, just let him play with Travis Dermott. Just let him play with somebody who can move the puck properly. See, I, I keep hearing about how the Leafs don't have enough toughness, and, and it's true. They don't. But to me, toughness is is manifests itself in different ways. Toughness manifests itself in not being so easy to play against, not getting scored on first in 17 of 22 games, mm. you know, being able to hold a lead, being able to go, to battle through adversity. And this team hasn't really displayed a lot of that, you know? I mean, uh, you know, I mean, say what you want about Nazem Kadri, but an awful lot of grit and yeah. toughness and character and everything, like that left the organization with him, you know? Mm-hmm. And so they get Cody Cece back, who's a laid-back guy who doesn't really seem to get too worked up about anything you know i mean this is a team that needs an identity somewhere Mm -hmm. somewhere and people people can say too uh come on it's hindsight 2020 now but but the reason why i mean they're struggling so that's why it's okay to look back and say what went wrong you know Mm. to second guess i second guessed the cadre trade a few weeks ago and people gave me some heat but it's like well because they're struggling if they're doing well of course you're not going to ask that question but when a team is struggling you want to find out why so that's one place you look what's changed year over year. I think the one thing the Leafs can say, at least if you're looking for reasons to be optimistic, they haven't had a healthy roster for a single game this year, right? They'd be missing at least one prominent player every single game. So you're going to have to hope that something changes there. But I think, and this applies to the Leafs and Flames, you have to look at, and I've tweeted this the other day, uh, since since 99-2000, five Stanley Cup winning teams from 99-2000 until now yep. fired their coach in the yep. middle of the season. Penguins did it twice. 99-2000 <laughs> Devils, the 2011-12 LA Kings, uh, the Penguins in 08-09 and 2015-16, and the St. Louis Blues last year. I'm not saying that the Leafs and Flames can win the Stanley Cup, but then again, they were sort of considered fringe contenders going into this year. Totally. And there's no denying the talent on either roster. They both mm-hmm. have very talented rosters, so you never know. If you have a new voice in there, does it ignite the little spark? And we did have a guy who was or one of our former staffers, Ronnie Sugar, did a number crunch a few years ago that showed that there is, in fact, statistically, a spike when a new coach comes in. Whether it's tangible or not, it happens over and over in hockey. Mm-hmm. It's just a mm-hmm. hockey thing. So maybe you need to just do the little jump start for the mm-hmm. team. Who knows? Uh, it's Hall of Fame time. And uh, this was, there were a couple of more obscure names going to the Hall of Fame, but the one name I think we can all agree was not obscure, was an absolute slam dunk, was Haley Wickenheiser. And many people consider her the greatest female player of all time. And I kind of wanted to open that debate because I, I feel like it's a debate you don't hear enough. And I'm kind of curious yeah. who the other contenders could be. Or do you think that, no, it's Haley, she's number one, and no one's even close? Where do you guys stand on this? Well, it's interesting. I mean, I, first of all, I think it's it's really interesting that she's like the crown jewel of this class, right? Like, mm-hmm. and, and I'm not sure that that's been the case for a woman's inductee before. Like, she is the face of this class. Oh, no doubt. She's the yeah. one who's yeah, everybody's no talking doubt. about, you know, and, every, and, that, and I think that's great. Um, yeah, I do think she's the greatest female player of all time. Mm. I don't know that that's going to be the case 10 or 15 years from now True. because I think there are such gains being made in the women's game and women are getting so much better and they're catching up that I think there will be other Haley Wickenheisers as we come along. The one person I'd like to throw into the debate, though, is Angela James. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I had her written down here, too. I, I mean, I mean, Haley Wickenheiser is the best player. There's no question about it. Angela James is the most dominant player who's ever played women's hockey, ever. Mm. Like, when she played, it, it was, the, the you know, I mean, the, 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 the bridge between her and everyone else was insane, yeah. right? And I just, I, I just wish, for her sake, there would have been 
the Olympics and a lot of world championships and things like that when she was in her heyday because then we'd probably be looking at her maybe as one of the the greatest of all time. It's it's I, th- I think it's one of those things, you know, okay, so, yeah, Gordie Howe is the greatest player of all time. Then Wayne Gretzky comes along. He's the greatest player of all time. And then, you know, and then you go down the line. And I, yeah. and I think that's the case here is, you know, Angela James was so great. Haley came along at such a young age, like 14, playing for the national team and just, you know, doing some amazing things. But there's probably someone... Some girl who's playing hockey in Wisconsin or Etobicoke or something that, you know, may end up being the greatest player of all time in 10 or 15 years. So, yeah. 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 I think if you look at just the body of work from Wickenheiser, the the two-way game she played, you know, I mean, I think it was the 06 Olympics. She had 17 points in five games. You know, she was always at the top for Canada. And I, I totally agree, Ken. I mean, I, I think we're going to see – more players come out and it's it's kind of interesting because then you get to a point where you really have to almost appreciate them more and i think it's yeah. like like now with the nhl where you know like Sidney crosby doesn't necessarily win the scoring race by 30 points or anything like that but you appreciate everything he does against the competition he has to play so i almost feel like now when you look at like a marie philippe poulin or you know hillary knight or Brianna decker or whoever it is you look at them being sort of on the same level, but it's a higher level than right. it used to be. So right. it's going to make right. the debate more difficult in the future. But as it is now, I mean, Wickenizer's got a whole lot of hardware she does. on her trophy case, yeah, and, and it's hard to deny you know, her as the best of all time based on that. Yeah, for me, what cemented it was Sochi. Was Sochi. Mm. She... I don't know if you guys remember, but that year there was a lot of turmoil with the women's team. I think they had changed coaches before yeah. the season, a lot of that stuff. And I know for sure, and, and I, I know this for sure, that there was talk of Haley maybe not being included on that team uh, because she had her game had declined and she wasn't producing. And, and you know, they, 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 they perished the thought, <laughs> and it was like, forget it, she's coming with us. She plays the gold medal game on a broken foot. Nice. And she was, if if she doesn't play in that game, they don't win. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They don't win. She was the best player in that game at that time when they needed her most. She was the abs. She was a beast. Yep. And and to me, that's what cements it right there. Uh, I think the one name that I'm looking at in the future that if there's someone that's going to overtake her, who's still only 28, and you think about how long Haley was able to play, uh, Marie Philippe Poulain. And mm. I think if you look at and I, I just was doing a bit of reading up on it, and, and the one thing I found as a common thread is that other players, they really herald Marie-Philippe Poulain, and some other players have called her already the greatest of all time. Wow. And in the CWHL, uh, minus the one year where they centralized so she didn't play, but the last three full seasons she played in the league, she was league MVP, and she was MVP as voted by the other players in the league. So I think she's got the potential to gradually climb the all-time scoring list in international play, and if anyone's going to surpass Haley, I think Haley's got the title, and Cami Granado had an amazing career as well, but I think that uh, Poulin has a real chance. And what's interesting to me is... I think what would really help her case is it kind of reminds me of, you know, one thing that always made me lose interest in boxing back in the day was just there are too many belts and you didn't really know who's the best. There's the WBO, WBA, there's so many different titles for the same weight class. And right now it's like without the centralized, true pro league that everyone can understand is the best women's league in the world. Until that exists, it's a lot harder to evaluate who the best Mm -hmm. is because they're not always even playing in the same leagues. Mm. Uh, But if that happened, then you could see Poulin regularly playing against the best in the league. And I think... 
yeah. you would really get a sense of how good she is. So I think she's not just a threat. I think she's a, a real contender to overtake uh, Haley in, in legacy someday. In terms of, of offensive talent, she's prolific. Yeah. Like she's a better offensive player, I think, than than Haley Wickenheiser. Like it, it's almost like the Wayne Gretzky, Mark Messier thing, right? Mm. Like Poulin would be sort of along the lines of a Wayne Gretzky, and and Wickenheiser would be like the Mark Messier, the more sort of total package mm-hmm. that's right. just a you know a really really difficult person to play against, and and offensively talented as well. But I think when it comes down to like pure offensive talent, Marie Philippe Poulin is is in terms of raw talent probably the the best there mm-hmm. is fair uh i want to stick on hall of fame a little longer just i love these debates personally it's just kind of like it kind of taps into just like the childhood hockey joy of thinking about great players their legacies all that kind of stuff uh so looking ahead to next year uh jerome mcginla is a pretty massive consensus lock he's got a couple of rocket richard trophies lester b pearson maybe which was a pearson back then now it's a Lindsay. maybe should have won the heart no 102 no should have should have should have the heart, should have have won won the heart. Now, had him like sixth on his ballot yeah exactly yeah. so there you go so we it's just it's a it's an absolute lock that Jerome Ginla, I think, is going to be a first ballot. Uh, but there are a lot of other names yeah. floating out there. There are some that are first-time eligible, so that would be guys like Marion Hossa or Shane Doan. Other names that have been floating out there for a long time, like, you know, the Jeremy Roenicks and Curtis Josephs of the world. So I want us to each nominate their pick for a, a, an overlooked person or, or a first-time eligible non-Ginla member that could get in. So I, I get to start. Uh, and it's funny, this, this guy wouldn't have been my pick uh, a year ago. But now I want to throw Rod Brindamore out there because to me, when Guy Carboneau got his call to the hall as a three-time Selkie winner, that changed the way I look at Rod Brindamore. I think, okay, well, if Carboneau can get in, he was a great checking center, probably the best of his generation right up there. Uh, but I don't think he's in the Bob Ganey, Patrice Bergeron tier, but he's at least in the Datsuk tier of, in terms of two-way players. Mm-hmm. Um, but Datsuk, again, was a better Without the, offensive he, player. Yeah, Without yeah. the offense, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's, that's what brings me to Rod Brindamore. Is Brindamore won two Selkie trophies. But Brindamore also had 1,184 points, which I think is is double or maybe even more than double what Carboneau did in his career. It's yeah. like, call it double, more or less, okay? So you have the defensive prowess of a Guy Carboneau, one fewer Selkie, but two Selkies is still excellent. You have a Stanley Cup, and you have much more yeah. prolific offense uh, and a very long career, consistent career, always a great two-way player and a pretty consistent, solid secondary scorer on, on some good teams. So I, I think because of that... I. I I think no one should have been more excited other than Guy Carboneau himself. <laughs> I think that when Carboneau got the call, if I'm Rod Bendemore, I'm like, ooh, uh. well, this this opens things up for me. And if you look at the top 50 point getters of all time, uh, Rod Bendemore's 50th, and there's a bunch of guys right around the 45-50 mark that are the only guys on that list that are eligible that are not in the Hall of Fame, and that's Pierre Turgeon, Jeremy Roenick, Bernie Nichols, Vincent Domfus, and I think... Other than maybe Ronick, I think that it's pretty clear that most people would say Brindamore is better than those other guys yeah. in terms of his career legacy. Yeah. So, Rod Brindamore is my pick. Right on. Mm. That's a, that you made a really good case for him. Well Ooh. done. Great. I can't drop the mic because it's too expensive. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go with uh, the third member of the 1989 World Junior line of Sergei Fedorov, um, Pavel Bure. And Alex McGilney. I think mm. Alex McGilney, it's 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 time. It's oh, time. yes. Uh, you know, had the 76-goal season, eight 30-plus goal seasons, 1,000 points. Um, you know, Vatslav Nedimansky is getting in, in large part because of, you know, it's kind of a legacy thing as well for, for what he did and what he represented. Well, Alexander McGilney represented all of that as well and, and more. So I, I think Alexander McGilney should be in. I think Dale Hunter should be in. Mm. Um, and as a builder, I'm going to go with someone that will polarize, I'm sure, everybody. But Bob Goodno should be in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Oh, 
Mm. Without question, in my opinion. Without wow. question. Interesting. Yeah, so. All right. Do what? I make the case for good now? I'm kind of curious now. Uh, he took over the NHLPA when it was at its lowest. Mm-hmm. Um, he did more for the cause of players than anyone ever in the history of the sport. Um, salary disclosure was brilliant. Um, and for his constituents, he fought tooth and nail. He stood on his beliefs. He allowed himself to, you know, I mean, he basically got turfed because he didn't want to give in. And to me, that's, that's what you want to see. And someone that does their job and, you know, I mean, you have to set aside what he represents in some cases, but you're giving the Hall of Fame to somebody who did their job, like Mm. did their job very well, whether you were an offensive player, a defensive player, a coach, a builder, whatever. This guy did his job uh, more uh, with more dedication than probably anybody. Nice. All right, so I got a really hipster pick here. <laughs> I'm, I'm going Uh-oh. obscure, but uh, John Masich. And I know that uh, you guys are like, who's that? I know who he is. Okay, good. I double take Just admittedly. Matt, which is, and again, I work for the Hockey News. Right. It's pretty embarrassing. So I, my pitch <laughs> it is, here. Yes, it is embarrassing. <laughs> no, uh, not that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. No, no. <laughs> Oh, um, my pitch here is that for too long, the Hall of Fame has been too NHL focused mm-hmm. and we're getting better. Netamansky, obviously a good one. All the women that have been inducted so far, none of them played in the, in, in the NHL. John Masich was one of the most dominant players of his day. Never Minnesota. Never lost a high school game his entire career. Won four straight national wow. championships. Literally never lost a game with Avalith. Then he goes to the University of Minnesota, where he was one of the most dominant college players of all time. Had his number retired by the Golden Gophers. First time they ever did that. I'm not sure if there are any other numbers retired. Um, one of the highest scores that the conference had ever seen. Didn't win a national championship, but they were runner-up twice. And I believe one they lost in overtime. So it came very close. Never played in the NHL because back in the day, first of all, there's only six teams, but those six teams were not looking at American players, right, specifically right. college players. Right. So Masich played some senior hockey, and then eventually, when no one was calling, he just stopped playing and managed a radio station in Minnesota. It was like a Moonlight Graham Field of Dreams kind of thing. Won an Olympic gold medal with that's, Team USA. That's where, yeah, that's what yeah. it is. Yeah. Won a yeah. silver medal four years prior to that with the Americans. And again, I mean... Americans back in 1960 were not prominent in hockey. That was an incredible gold medal that obviously gets overshadowed by the miracle on ice. But the 1960 team itself was quite Squaw the feat. Valley. Squaw Valley. That was exactly. yeah. That was an amazing story. That was it was an amazing, amazing story. story. Yeah. Uh, he could play forward and defense. And I just think that if you're talking about a Hall of Fame, you're talking about one of the greatest unknown stars mm-hmm. that hockey has ever seen. And yes, he played a long time ago, so not a lot of people maybe outside of the the U.S. and specifically Minnesota. No, or, the is. or the hockey news. Or the hockey news. But I, I think that would be a fantastic induction, even though he was okay, not an NHL. Okay, you, you did it. You that did was it. a good you pitch. I'll give it to you. It was a great pitch. I was Thank ready to you. skewer you, but but I, I was going to prepare an argument of like, oh, well, I guess Tyler Bozak should be in the Hall of Fame. He was a good college player. But <laughs> the fact that you added it. <laughs> oh, come I, on. I was going to name a bunch, of good, a bunch of guys who are good in college. <laughs> right. But uh, I think, yeah. But I think the key, like you said, was that he didn't have the opportunities to make yeah. the jump, right? 80 Which, points in 30 yes, games yes. as a senior with a go. Okay, so then, okay, and, and I, I've got you there. I, I'm yeah. with you. But yeah. then do we lo- start looking at a guy like Herb Carnegie? 
totally. Right. Herb Carnegie should Herb totally Carnegie. be in the Hall of Fame. Herb Carnegie. Yes. There's a guy, right? Yes. Matt doesn't know who he is. No, either. I know no. who Herb Carnegie is. Okay, good. Good. <laughs> He's the arena just, guy. Just don't ask me many questions. About him, but I know no, of him. But that's another perfect yes. example where yeah. it's not the NHL Hall of Fame. Herb Carnegie should for sure be in the Hall of Fame for all his contributions. Yep. Right. Interesting. Right. Okay. Well, that was a good Hall discussion. Excellent. Uh, let's take some, some listener questions now. Uh, first one is from Sam McGrath, who sounds like a sheriff in a small town. Mm. <laughs> There's only room yeah, for so one of yeah, us here. Your right. tail lats out. Uh, <laughs> Sam McGrath says, I'm going to ask it in Sam McGrath's voice. Who do you think is a front runner for the Jack Adams Award? <laughs> Stephen, <laughs> Stephen, our, uh, Stephen, our producer, is dying right now. But uh, hang on, i got to get through this. All right. Okay. Love the hockey news, guys. Who do you think is the front runner for the Jack Adams right now? Well, Sam, uh, this is going to be an interesting one. If wow. things continue the way they've been going all season, it's going to be a fun debate, I think, at the end of the year uh, with the Edmonton Oilers. Because, mm-hmm. you know, when you, I always say one way to look for a Jack Adams winner is when a team is virtually unchanged or makes very few roster adjustments but plays very differently the next year. It has to be coaching, right? And people could say, well, but McDavid and Dreisaitl are just out of this world. But they were last year, too. And the team didn't make the playoffs. So something's changed in the structure of this team. Uh, so, I, again, I haven't dug deep into it to see what Tippett's impact is. But maybe I should. Maybe that's a good uh, topic for a blog this week. I, uh, you know what? I, I, already, oh. I, I already wrote that blog. Uh, not so much. I didn't say Jack Adams. but uh, Evidently, Matt doesn't read yeah, the hockey news either. Do I even work here? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Dave Tippett, you know, if you talk to people... People in the industry, they'll tell you that you know Dave Tibb is known for being uh, a very good defensive coach, very good with structure. But you know, speaking with people that know him, they say it's it's not just that; it's that you do your job in the defensive end, and you listen to him when it comes to that. But when it comes to offense. It's up to you. Like, he will give players freedom mm-hmm. once they're out of their own zone. And I think that's part of the reason that McDavid and Dreisaitl are on fire, not just because they are sublimely talented players, which obviously they are, but they are being given the structure necessary to launch themselves at the opponent offensively. And uh, the fact that Edmonton is doing so well through a quarter of the season and McDavid and Dreisaitl are obviously doing a lion's share of the work, but they're being put in a position to succeed. And I think that's been the problem in Edmonton for the past decade is that players weren't being put in the position to succeed, even though McDavid has put up, obviously, some great numbers and Dreisaitl did too last year. Um, But now it's actually having an impact that you can quantify as team success. And I totally think Tippett is a fantastic. Okay, So you think he would be your pick as well? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Mm. What about you, Kenny Boy? Do you have another one? Well, I mean... The New York Islanders are not in first place overall because they haven't played enough games. But if you go by points percentage, they're in first place. Mm-hmm. Wow. They're the best team in the NHL if you go by points percentage. And I'm trying to remember, who was the last coach to win Coach of the Year two years in a row? It's, That's it, tricky. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's very, yeah. very, very Usually rare. coaches get fired after they win yeah. the Jack Yeah, games. exactly. <laughs> it's the nature of the award. The award... Steve, look it up. Doesn't, Steve, yeah, let's Steve go look, look it up. up. But the look award doesn't often go to the best coach. It goes to... It's like the most improved team. Right, exactly. Yeah. Award, exactly. Right? exactly. And sometimes <laughs> yeah. I think you should give it to a guy who just is a really good coach every year and his teams are always good. What's wrong with that? Mm-hmm. Right? I think the reason why... It goes back to what I was saying about Tippett. It's like, it's hard to... When a team is really good, then it's hard to know why they're good, whether it's the players or the coaches, mm-hmm. but when a team is not, like, that doesn't make very many changes and then it's suddenly good, and you think, well, it's got to be coaching. Right. Like, that's why the coach of the right. improved team wins it so much. Um, next question is from 
Anthony Louie, and Anthony asks, uh, Kale McCarr clearly looks like he's running away with the Calder race. Amen. Uh, but if he keeps this up, is it possible for him to be a Norris finalist as well? Mm-hmm. I, I, mean, I mean, he's been yes. fantastic. He's been a point-per-game player. He's chasing Larry Murphy's single-season rookie record. And he's going to be the first guy since, I think, Vladimir Malkov to get 50 points as a rookie defenseman, which was, what, how many years ago was that, 27 years ago? Oh. Uh, so he's been phenomenal, and I think... Yes, it's entirely possible he enters the Norris race. I, I think he's going to have, have a tough time overtaking John Carlson, though, personally. Oh, yeah. I think John yeah. Carlson. Yeah. I mean, he John Carlson checks so many box, boxes because we've said before the Norris often goes, like, there's a this guy's due factor. Yeah. Carlson has that going for him on top of just being really good. And Carlson just does – he's so well-rounded. He's putting up amazing offense, but he blocks shots. He plays all situations. He just logs huge minutes. And I, I think Makar is – way ahead of schedule already and, and we all loved him we liked him for the Calder in the first place yeah. but I think in terms of like if you have to win one game right now which guy is going to just do it all out there I think it's still John Carlson sure that doesn't mean that McCarr can't be a finalist but I think I, it, yeah I think yeah. Carlson's the front runner yeah I, I agree I think I think you're right I think he, he will be a finalist Dougie Hamilton too shout out Dougie Hamilton yeah Sorry. Dougie yeah. Hamilton absolutely yeah. he's tied with Dougie Hamilton in scoring uh, they're 2-3. They're tied for second place in scoring, and Carlson's first by like 10 points. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I think the, the thing that might keep Kale McCarr from winning the Norris Trophy this year is in the back of their minds, voters are going to be saying, you know, and this is this is one of those awards where you kind of got to put your time in, you know? Yeah. Which is yeah. silly because we're voters. We don't, like, we yeah, don't have... Yeah, right. Are you yeah. saying this is what we're going to do? No, I'm saying, yeah, yes. I'm we don't have that's to. that's what many voters will yeah. do. I think the Norris is something where you got to kind of put your time in. Yeah. And, and I think people, and even in the back of their minds, will be saying, yeah... I mean, it could be McCarr this year, but you know he's gonna he's gonna he's got a lot of opportunities to win it down right. the road, and he will win a whole right. bunch of them. So maybe we'll give it to John Carlson because we don't know if John Carlson's ever gonna have a year like this again. Mm-hmm. You know? So. Yeah, I I think you know we'll look back on this year and when Kale McCarr is winning his second or third Norris and saying, don't forget, he was a finalist his first season in the year. Like, how hard is that to yeah, do? Like, yeah. just even being a finalist, I think, is a huge feather in his cap if it happens if he continues on this pace yeah fair uh next question is from Corey turner and Corey asks is mackenzie blackwood capable of being the guy in new jersey because of course the news broke today Corey schneider the six million dollar man has been waived and it, unless i mean unless louis domingue is going to be a, a threat it, yeah. I, I, it appears that the devils want to give the crease to mackenzie blackwood and see what they have in him and is he capable of being the guy it, it's tough the sample size isn't very big yet I thought he was pretty impressive last year. Down yeah. the stretch, he was amazing. Yeah, yeah. he has been yeah. less impressive this year. I, yeah, it's hard. I want to give a definitive answer, but it sounds like a cop out. But I just don't think we know yet, and that's why I think it's absolutely the right move. I was writing about this last week, actually, that I thought it was going to be a possible buyout at some point for Schneider because his buyout was not very penalizing. Uh, but you got to find out what you have in Blackwood now mm. because yeah. it's there just haven't been enough reps, and I think you need to give him some rope to get established and. You know, Domingo, I think Domingo will still play a decent amount, but maybe it's like you give him two out of every three starts, and that'll give you a better sense of what he's going to be. Yep. Yeah. He, he better be. I mean, that's <laughs> the, the, the answer to that question is he'd better be. Right. <laughs> they have no choice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, and the good thing about Domingo is that he has shown in the recent past that if he needs to take over for a stretch, he can. I remember talking to the Tampa Bay Lightning last year, and they were saying when Vasilevsky went down, Domingo was crucial in keeping the momentum going until Vasilevsky got healthy. And the you know the reason they racked up so many points is that there wasn't a letdown when their starter mm-hmm. 
was injured. So I think Deming has that capability where for stretches, he can be the guy. Now, unfortunately, the Devils are not the Tampa Bay Lightning. They're a lot more leaky defensively. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you're going to sort of put Deming in a spot, and, and you want to put Blackwood in a spot where he can at least have a chance to succeed... I, that's the big X, for right, X factor right now for New Jersey is like how good would Mackenzie Black would have to be just to make this team, you know, a legitimate playoff contender, like a contender to get to the playoffs. Which they're not. Which they're not. Which I don't think is a bad, like I think if you're, I said this last week as well. If you want, like the Devils, you need it to be either terrible this year or really good. But what you didn't want to happen is to be Columbus where you hang on to Hall and you just make the playoffs or just mm. mix. Yeah. But if they're like last overall by Christmas, it's like, pfft. See you, Taylor Hall. Like it's e- yeah. it's easy decision for him. Easy yeah. decision for New Jersey. Yeah. Yeah. But before we move on, do you have any thoughts on Blackwood, Kenny Boy? Uh, just like I said, he better yeah. be. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Uh, we're gonna do a couple more questions. This one was from a great name, Adult Timbits Grinder. Uh, there's I don't a lot. Think that's yeah. his real name. <laughs> I'm gonna guess no. <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, that can mean baby. a lot Let's of different call things. Him adult. Yeah. <laughs> uh, adult Timbits Grinder asks: uh, Is Sean Monahan a number one center? If not, who could you see Calgary realistically pursuing for that spot? It's interesting. Uh, Monahan. I, I think to me, I, I always remember this quote. It was from Bill Peters at the All Star Game last year on Media Day, and it was when I was working on a story on Gaudreau. People were asking him about Gaudreau and Monahan. And what Peter said is, like, you know, the league has changed. He's like, look at guys like Kucherov and Johnny Gaudreau. You don't need to be the, a center to be the primary puck distributor on your team anymore. A line can run can run through a winger. And I think that's absolutely the case with how Monaghan fits into a line. Even though he's a center, he's not a play driver the way mm-hmm. Johnny Gaudreau has been. I think Monaghan's more of a finisher, a trigger man. To me, that says he's not a true number one center. I think he's an ideal number two center, or he's like... He's number one center in title, but like he doesn't have the typical number one center impact, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. And in terms of potential replacement, it's hard to say who's out there. It's hard to say what Calgary's cap situation is going to be. But if you're, if anyone's possible, like like if we're just kind of blue skying it, uh, Nicholas Backstrom's technically still a UFA for next year, right now. Mm, wow. We'll see. I don't know. That'd be. I don't know yeah, if they could Washington fit him. Yeah, yeah, he Washington. I think yeah. Backstrom stays. Hope guys. he goes. They but yeah, guys. yeah. I'm I think Monahan. Monahan's. You know, I think he's like a one B mm-hmm. center. I, I think he has that capability. He has the size. You know, he has skill. He's he's having a down year. Fair enough. But I think he's on that sort of like Ryan Johansson plane where it's like, yeah, if if your offense isn't based around. Your number one center, that's okay. And a lot but of teams. That's because aren't. you don't have one. That's the problem. Yeah. That's because you don't have But one. I mean, Calgary has been good, yeah. even very good, with Sean Monahan as their number one center. Right. And it, and it hasn't been that long since that has been true. Right. So I think it's, you have to at least say he's a 1B center. And uh, also, I didn't know Timbit sponsored Grinder. So. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I, um, <laughs> what do I say to that? Uh, I, I, at first, it was like, yeah, he's a number one center. Of course he is. But mm-hmm. no, he's not. No, he's not. He's not a number one center. Mm-hmm. If you're going to be a goal scorer, don't go 13 games without scoring. Yeah, he's you been know? very, he's very do streaky. Yeah. Just don't do stuff like that. <laughs> score more. Yeah, score more if you're going to score. He doesn't check particularly well. Mm. You're right, Matt. He doesn't drive play. He's a, he's a trigger guy. And those guys have typically been wingers in the NHL 
for for a lot of times. And I just don't think like and you compared him to Ryan Johansson, and that's a perfect example because mm-hmm. I don't think Ryan Johansson's a number one center in the mm-hmm. NHL. Different style of play, yeah. but in, impact wise, but, yeah, yeah. but a good number two, yeah. yeah, a number one who can go nose to nose with guys like Ryan Getzlaff and 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 Anche Kopitar and all those guys in that in that you know in that in that division in that uh, in that conference. No, mm. no. Right. It's almost like picturing you know, let's say Calgary made the Stanley Cup final and Boston did, and it's like you picture Monahan and Gaudreau lining up and and Lee's Lindholm, whoever the first line is there, yeah, against like Bergeron, Marchand, and Pasternak, and it's like. Mm, I don't like their chin. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a sort of. I mean, mm. no line. I guess no line matches up well against that line. But it's a good way to test. But if you, know. but if it was Nathan McKinnon versus yeah. Pitchers version, you'd be like, oh, oh, I want to see that. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, that's yeah, that's yeah, sure. fun. Whereas like yeah. Montan, you're like, I don't want to see that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Fair. Fair. Uh, we'll do one more question, and this is we've had questions from Vith Vijay so many times, and I can never say the name right. I'm so sorry, Vith Vijay. I'm gonna call, I'm gonna say that. That sounds about right, okay. based on the spelling See? of the name. Yeah. So Vith, Vith <laughs> asks, uh, what moves do the Montreal Canadiens need to do to put them in cup contention? That's a tough one because Montreal is, I think Montreal is one of the toughest teams to define in the league in terms of their identity. They've, they're really building like a, an exciting farm system right now. They yeah. have like one of the best goalie prospects in the game, Caden Primo. You've got Cole Caulfield lighting it up and can't wait till he gets there. And you've got this great pipeline of centers with Suzuki and Ryan Paling and in theory, yes, Barry Cock and Yemi. In theory, uh, in theory, yeah. uh, I think so. That, but then, but then you have these like veteran stalwarts like Shea Weber and and Carey Price, of course, that you're still building the team around. So, uh, I don't know who they are personally. So, to me, it, I don't know if if you're Mark Bergevin, you want to do much. And of course, they're they're dealing with injuries right yeah. now. But I think you need to just let these pieces sit on the chessboard and find out who you are before you make rash moves because what if you're trying to make moves to be contender but then it's like you have all these young guys coming you don't want to block them on the roster I don't know but to me they're one of the teams that I find really difficult to define yeah yeah and and I'm I'm not sure you do anything like see I look at a team like say Vegas right now They've struggled a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. So why are they struggling? Well maybe part of it is that you know guys like William Carlson and and before Riley Smith and a couple of these guys, they came in there and they were the top dogs. They earned their place. They did all this. And then now they go out and make these moves and these guys get pushed back down for by no fault of their own. I don't know what effect that has on like chemistry or whatever, but I look at something like that. But but to me, I mean, you know, one acquisition isn't going to make the, the Canadians a legitimate Stanley Cup contender. I think they're still in second place in the Atlantic. Yeah. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I would not. I would certainly not be doing any robbing Peter to pay Paul here in terms of getting going out and getting a Taylor Hall or something like that. Right. right. Um, unless you could, unless you could get a good deal. Yeah, I, I think you basically wait and you hope that your top prospects push other guys out. So. You have your leadership where, you know, like a guy like Shea Weber is going to be so important for you for different (laughs) reasons, not just on ice, but in the room. You know, Jeff Petrie, I think, is another veteran who you want in your defense core. But then you want something, you want somebody like Alexander Romanoff in a couple of years to come over and really be that impact defenseman on your blue liner, a guy that can bring you offense, that can do a lot of different things. Um, you know, and like you said, you know, Caden Primo is going to come up eventually, and that's going to be a weird dynamic with Carey Price because obviously Carey Price still has some very nice hockey in him. Up front, I think Nick Suzuki is your guy. You know, ultimately he should be the number one center. Max Domi, I think 
He's a natural winger. I know he's been yeah. doing very well at center, so I don't know if you want him down the middle just because he's playing so well there, or if you simply find some good chemistry with him and Suzuki, which for they example. Have, which they have. Which, they, think, have. which they have, yeah. So yeah. it might not be like a classically structured you know, combination. Like maybe they're playing off each other where they both kind of seem like centers, but like Suzuki is much more comfortable as a center than he is as a winger. He just, he likes the space. He likes the ability to create from that position. He doesn't like to be stuck on the wall like that. Yeah. I think, you know, Ryan Paling is potentially your shutdown guy in a couple of years or even your second line guy, depending on what you do ahead of that. Kak and Yemi, I think you put him on the wing. You take some of the responsibility off his yep. plate. So that's what you do with him. Like, because that was that's what my you question. Do. What do you do with your Sperry Kotkin? You put him right on the wing. Now, right he now. played a lot on the wing before he was drafted, yep. so it's not foreign to him. Right. But you got a big body there, or at least a <laughs> tall body. Um, you give him less responsibility defensively. You unleash that offense that you know he has, mm-hmm. and you get some confidence back in the kid. I know he's always, he's been battling some injuries too, which does not help development. But I think in an ideal world, that's where you are, you're at. And then, of course, Cole Caulfield comes in either next year or the year after, and you've got a sniper that you put on one of those top two lines. Yep. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, you have a very nice-looking attack. I agree. I think they're a team that, you know, they're going to have their time in a couple of years. So you mm-hmm. don't want to force the issue because I think when we do our, our annual Future Watch edition where we have the scout or the panel of scouts, the NHL executives and team scouts, they do their anonymous rankings. I think the Habs are going to be one of the highest teams this year because they're, they're really that. building something nice. And I think Romanov looks like he was best defenseman at the World Juniors at 18 years old. Yeah. And led all defensemen in scoring, I think, last year. Yeah. And so that's looking like a steal as a second-round pick in the draft. And, uh, I don't know. I, so, so I think it's time to just consider a year like this when the Habs are doing well so far. It's gravy and just yeah. get Enjoy excited. It. But yeah, you're ahead of yeah, schedule. Be, yeah, be happy with what you have. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know what? Maybe if you want, maybe you, you want to tweak your bottom six. You know, yeah, you want to get sure. a little more depth on the bottom six. Yeah. Right. And, and maybe a little somebody who can maybe chip in a goal here. You know, Brian Boyle. That's my answer for everything. Wait a second. Yeah. <laughs> my answer is always Brian Boyle. Yeah. What should you do at the trade line? Get Brian, Brian Boyle. Boyle. Who should move this, these boxes in the office? Brian oh, Boyle. Brian Boyle for sure. For sure. He He's like 6'6". Six, six. It fits for everything. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> You know this would have made this podcast better? Brian, Brian Boyle. Boyle. <laughs> All right. We're going to end on that note. Uh, Thank you to our sponsor, Christian Hockey. Thank you for listening and watching, everybody. And I'll be back here Thursday at 3 to do some fantasy hockey Q&A. I will see you then.